Welcome to Crop Watch Podcast, a production of Nebraska Extension. Welcome to the Crop Watch Podcast. I'm your host, Melissa Bartles, a cropping systems educator with Nebraska Extension. And today I'll be joined by Chris Proctor and we will be talking about weed management using cover crops. Thank you for joining me today, Chris. How are you? Great. Thanks for the invitation. It's good to be on the podcast and chat about stuff that I get excited about. So thanks. Great. Can you tell us more about your role in Extension? Yeah, so I've been with Nebraska Extension uh, almost six years now. My role is a a campus-based extension educator, so there's a handful of us. So I focus on managing weeds around the state, kind of my primary role. So anything related to weed management, I have interest in. All right. Harvest is full underway here in Nebraska. As we know, weeds are always a problem, it seems. Since your focus is on weed management, are there things we can do now to help control some of our winter annual weeds? Yes. Usually you get to the end of the year, harvest is done. You kind of want to put the equipment away and not think about anything until next year. But there is, I think there's opportunities at this time of year where you can get ahead of of some of our, our weed issues. And so with our winter annuals, we do know that we like mare's tail. We have the opportunity to manage that in the fall through herbicide. That tends to be more effective than spring applications. Not everyone can do that. But we do know that that's more effective. But, you know, one of the other tools that is really in, of interest to me is using cover crops. And one of those windows of opportunity for effective cover cropping in Nebraska is following harvest. And so, you know, if we can get cover crops established, after harvest and get those growing, it can make a pretty big difference in terms of managing weeds the next year. And so again, all, all this is about, about tools in a toolbox. So in today's world, really hard to control weeds. We need as much help as we can get. And we have really effective tools and herbicides, but with resistance, you know, we, we start losing some of those tools. And so I think we need, as, we, we need to think of ways we can broaden our toolbox out. And so that, that's really been my interest in cover crop is that provides a way to do that is it's another mechanism to manage our weeds uh, effectively. With a good portion of Nebraska being in a drought, do you have some recommendations for those farmers that may have limited moisture, but they are interested in getting those cover crops in to help with those weeds that are difficult to control? Moisture is certainly a concern. So in in a rain-fed environment, I think there's an additional challenge is in that you don't control the moisture that you get. And so I think being aware of that is important. So knowing what is your moisture profile as you go into the fall, you know, in some ways there's an advantage for cover crops because you can capture some of that late fall winter moisture that might otherwise go unused. But if you're not careful, you can start to draw down your soil profile and affect your spring crop. And so I think if you do establish a cover crop, paying attention to the timing of termination and really using your soil moisture as a guide for when you're going to terminate, I think is one important thing if you're in a moisture limited environment. You know, most of the work we've done, this hasn't been a major issue if you're east of Kearney or even North Platte. We haven't fought it too much. As you move you know, west of those areas, moisture becomes even more limiting. And so cover crops become a real challenge unless you have irrigation. And so irrigation, you know, it, that kind of changes the, the dynamic. And so then you start asking the question, do I irrigate to manage my cover crop, right? Do I think about an additional irrigation pass to establish the cover crop or maybe to catch it up in the spring before I plant to make sure that those crops germinate timely? And so 
and not everybody thinks about managing their irrigation that way. But as you add complexity to your system with a cover crop, these are just considerations I think that need to be thought about. Yeah. Do you have different recommendations? You said east of Kearney, we don't tend to run into an issue of not having moisture in the soil, but you may have more of an issue the farther west you go. If we had an average year and we weren't in a drought, does that change maybe the mixes you would consider? Do you have certain mixes you like to use depending on your weed pressure? What are your recommendations around that? Yeah, and the, the conversation on cover crops always tends to come back to what are your goals with the cover crop? What are you after, right? Because there's a number of different reasons why a person might grow cover crop. And so depending on, on what the answer to that is, often will determine what cover crops get planted. In my experience, though, when thinking about weed management or suppressing weeds, it's never been as much about the species of cover crops as it is about the biomass. And so accumulate biomass is what ultimately drives uh, weed suppression. So anything I can plant that's going to produce more biomass, that's great. And really what that boils down to for most of Nebraska is, you know, the grass species tend to establish well in the fall, the cereal rye in particular, right? That's probably the most commonly grown cover crop in Nebraska. And really it's because it establishes well in the fall. It overwinters well. It's got good winter survival. And then it tends to come out of dormancy earlier than a lot of other crops in the spring. And so it kind of fits that niche that we like that off-season window of time. It tends to grow pretty well in that window. And so it probably gets grown more than anything else for that reason. If your goal is broader than just accumulating biomass, if you're interested in capturing some nitrogen or you're looking for to create diversity and in, in hoping to affect kind of the biological diversity in the soil, some of those different goals, which are good goals to pursue in a system, then you might start thinking about you know, what are other species to include. But in terms of just strict weed suppression, we do pretty well with cereal rye. It's really all about biomass ultimately. Mm -hmm. And so let's take this year, for example, we want to do cereal rye. Let's say you have a high weed pressure. Do you recommend flying those on early before you harvest or drilling them in after harvest? Is there a big difference in our biomass depending on which method we use? I'll use the, the annoying science line that it depends, right? <laughs> Drive everybody crazy because you can't pin a scientist down on anything. In this case, there's just a number of factors that go into it. Mm -hmm. We have seen that if you broadcast interseed early, so let's say R5 in corn or right as the leaves start to yellow in soybean, you know, that's a great opportunity to try to establish cover crops just a little bit earlier in the season. But the challenge is you're landing the seed right on the soil surface. So you don't have great seed to soil contact. Uh, usually you need a higher seeding rate to kind of get the equivalent level of establishment. The driving factor of all of that is whether or not you get a rain or an irrigation within a short amount of time of application. And if you do, you can have an amazing cover crop stand. But if you miss it, right, and it just stays dry, you can almost get nothing. Whereas drilling, if you wait until post-harvest, you might delay the timing of establishment by two, three weeks or more some years. But drill is going to put that seed down in the soil. It's going to make sure it's in contact with moisture. You get really consistent germination and establishment with drilling, but you're working with a shorter window. And so there's those trade-offs. So if you have irrigation and you broadcast and you're willing to run that pivot, you can really get ahead of the curve with that. If you're relying on rainfall and you just don't know what you're going to get that year, I think drilling is a really consistent method 
knowing that you're just going to have a little bit shorter time for that cover crop to get up in the fall. And so it just depends on, on your operation and what you're trying to accomplish and what opportunities you have. Mm-hmm. What are some of the challenges a farmer might face when interseeding? They want to get that cover crop in as soon as possible so they can get more biomass, get more growth. Yeah. So when you think broadcast interseeding towards the end of the year, usually you'd need some kind of specialized equipment. So you either need a high clearance machine that would be like a sprayer that's been modified to drop the seed down below the canopy. You know, you have to have that piece of equipment that you've modified, or you got to be able to get a custom operation to come through and, and seed for you, or you have to fly it on. Either way, you're, you're hiring somebody to do that. So that, that piece that, to consider with it. And then it's the timing of it, just the environmental conditions that we'd already kind of mentioned. So uh, those are the biggest challenges I see with interseeding. I think the opportunity is great. When I've seen it work well, you know, by the time you come through and harvest, you already got that nice green cover crop coming up underneath. And so you can get some really nice growth going mm-hmm. even into the fall. It can put you ahead of the curve in terms of suppressing those winter annuals and then nice biomass in the spring as well. Have you seen cover crops work well in helping control all of the weeds or do we have some weeds still try to fight that biomass or do we usually get pretty good control with cover crops if we can get that biomass in there? We did a study in 2017-2018 and we related weed biomass to cover crop biomass and it was pretty interesting when cover crop biomass was below a thousand pounds an acre, so about half a ton, we didn't really see a very strong relationship between cover crop biomass and weed biomass. It was kind of all over the place. You know, some sites and some locations did reduce the number of kind of the weed biomass. Other sites, it seemed to have no effect at all. But once we hit that thousand pound cover crop biomass mark and went up from there, we saw a really strong relationship. The higher the biomass, the lower the weed biomass. When we had no cover crop at all, we were getting weed biomasses of 2,000 to 2,500 pounds per acre. And so we had really heavy weed pressure. Whereas, you know, once that cover crop biomass was up over a ton and higher, the weed biomass was 500 pounds or less per acre. And so it was a pretty strong reduction. You know, you're looking at 60, 70% reduction in weed biomass because of the cover crop when we were over a ton. And so we see that pretty strong relationship. And we know that it works well on winter annuals. So like mare's tail, kochia, right? We see pretty strong effect of weed suppression there. And really when we talk weed suppression with cover crops, we're talking kind of two pieces. One is a reduction in weed biomass. I see that as like the size of the weed. So the weed size is smaller, which is a good thing. We may not eliminate the weeds, but we have smaller weeds. When you come through now with your herbicide program, the likelihood that you're going to have good control goes up because we know that smaller weeds are easier to control. The other thing that we see just by having cover crops out there is we tend to reduce the number of weeds. So there's a lower population of weeds. There's fewer weeds present, uh, which is a good thing. That's just fewer weeds that you have to control now with with your other control mechanism with herbicides or whatever else you're using. So there's really those two things that happen, I think, by using cover crops. So winter annuals for sure. There's a study that came out of Kansas looking at Palmer amaranth and cover crops, which I think is really interesting. I think it would translate pretty nicely to Nebraska as well. They saw really the same thing down there with Palmer. So a summer annual weed that as cover crop biomass went up, Palmer biomass or the size of the Palmer plants decreased and the number of Palmer plants decreased as well. 
And then the third thing that they saw, and this is another piece of how cover crops manage weeds that was really interesting to me is by having a cover crop in the system, they delayed Palmer emergence time about a month. So no cover crop, they were emerging down there. I think half the Palmer plants were emerged by May 15th or when they had the cover crop growing, they delayed half the emergence of the Palmer until June 15th. And so there was a, almost a one month shift in the timing of emergence. So that makes a huge difference in your ability to get into the field and manage those Palmer plants just because of that shift in emergence timings. Those are some interesting things that I've seen cover crop research and, and weed suppression. Mm-hmm. How much can a Palmer plant grow in a month? About how big do you think it would be in 30 days from emergence? So as a weed scientist, Palmer, I think it's an amazing plant. <laughs> My perspective is a little bit skewed, I understand. But to me, it's an amazing plant. If I'm farming, it's a terrible plant. Yes. If a Palmer plant is happy and everything is going well for it, there's data that would show, you know, it can go from emergence to a foot tall in about two weeks. It can grow like gangbusters. The trouble with Palmer is by the time you find it, you've almost missed the window to control it. You really need things like a cover crop, like a residual herbicide, narrow row spacing in soybeans, anything out there to get ahead of it. As soon as you get behind the curve with Palmer, you never catch up again. That's the trouble is it grows so fast from the time it emerges until you get out there in the field to do something about it. You know, if we say, well, four to six inches is kind of that cutoff for our ability to really effectively control it. You see it at two inches, you pull the tractor into the field with the sprayer a week later, and it's already eight, 10 inches tall, right? You missed it. That window of opportunity is so short. So anything we can do to slow it down makes a world of difference. For people listening who may not currently do cover crops or maybe on the fence about doing cover crops, given the amount of resistance that we're seeing in some of our weeds, it is really important to try to put more tools in our toolbox because the more we rely on these certain modes of actions, we're actually forcing these weeds to become resistant a little bit faster. But if the majority of producers keep relying on modes of actions, it may not work anymore. Yeah, that's exactly it, Melissa. We have such great tools in terms of the herbicides we have available and new technology comes out all the time. So we think of all the new seed technologies we have in soybean and the opportunities that that's given us for managing these really hard to control weeds, even like Palmer. Uh, But then you get reports out of Kansas, you know, that we have dicamba resistant Palmer that's showing up down there. And so you have this new tool, the ability to spray dicamba and soybeans is a great tool to have. You know, you already see evidence, you might be losing that tool to resistance in certain areas. And so just like any of these tools, I think we need to make sure that we're spreading the workload. So the way I've started to think about it is if we ask our herbicides to do all of the heavy lifting in terms of weed control, either we're more quickly selecting for resistance, and so we're going to lose that tool, or if something happens that that herbicide just isn't effective that year due to environmental conditions or a bad application or something that we just may be outside of our control, we go from control to failure in a hurry because we've put all of our effort, everything on that herbicide where if we can spread the workload out, so 
cover crops carry 30% of the effort. Herbicides carry another 30%. Maybe going to a narrow row spacing carries. If we can spread the workload out in terms of weed control, I think our likelihood of success in all kinds of different conditions go way up. And if any one of those things fails, it doesn't turn into a complete failure that year. And so I like to think about developing a weed management plan that thinks about kind of that distribution of workload. The more we can do that, the more successful we can be in our farming operations. So it's like what we talk about when we do our pesticide training, really having a good integrative pest management plan. So using all those tools, like you said, we're not just depending on one. Yep. If somebody was interested in starting cover crops, is there a particular field or would you suggest they go for one of their fields that has a lot of weed pressure and maybe start with cereal rye? If a producer came to you and said, I'm really interested in starting cover crops, but I want to start small, yeah. what would your recommendation to them be? One, I'd say you're on the right track. I wouldn't go see the whole section to cover crops if you've never done it before, right? Kind of pick a small area. Because you're adding a whole new component to your operation and there's a timing piece to it and all these things that need to be, when are you going to get it in after harvest, before you harvest, you got to think about terminating it, you know, before you get out there and plant. And and so you're adding complexity and and so you kind of need to start small and work out some of those kinks before you push it on your whole operation. And I think picking areas that you can kind of target, you know, where where am I going to see maybe the most benefit or where am I most interested in kind of seeing benefits from, from using this? Is there a a section of a field or a particular field that, that I'm interested in? If weed suppression is what you're after, I would caution starting in your worst field because, you know, cover crops aren't that silver bullet. If you go into your worst field, sometimes you can just get overrun by weeds with the cover crop in there, which can make it a challenge. The more you integrate cover crops into your system, you know, the more the cover crops overlap with your crop, then you start having to worry about what herbicides can I use that are compatible with my cover crop, right? So the complexity only goes up. So I think waiting until you, after you harvest and then planting your cover crop and then terminating well before you establish the next, like that's really the easiest way to start. So that's probably would be my first recommendation if you've never done it before. And then you can slowly ramp it up from there and start interseeding or start delaying termination a little bit longer and start working with mixes versus just single species and I think I would start small and I would start in ways where you can kind of quantify success you know is this working why is this working what do I need to change those types of things where you can kind of have part of a field that has cover crops and parts that doesn't so you can have a little bit of a comparison so you can see what's working what's not working so those are some things I'd think about. And if there are producers interested, visit your local extension office and connect with your cropping system educator. And we're more than happy to get you resources. There's programs out there that can help you get started. Do you have any programs or articles coming out soon that relate to this topic that you want our listeners to know about? Yeah, no, I think we do have a number of articles that come out in CropWatch related to cover cropping and, and weed control. And so I think paying attention to CropWatch is great. We're kind of heading into the winter meeting series. And so we'll be discussing some of these topics at our crop production clinics, for example, over the winter times. I'd be looking for that as well. 
Great. Well, thank you for joining me today. And I hope everybody has a safe harvest. Absolutely. Thanks, Melissa. 